Good to see everybody. Don't always get to wear a t-shirt, so I'm really pretty happy about that. If you didn't get one, obviously uh, there's one for everyone to pick up on either the way in or out. Most of you, I think, got it. You know, you know what a lot of this has to do with, and I know not everybody's up to speed, and if you're newer here, you're going, what are these, what, what's this Isaiah 542, 54.2? It, it's based on Isaiah 54.2, but it has to do with um, our extension, our ex expansion, and the second campus that we're going to be launching in January on the west side of the city by Lake Merced brother, on Brotherhood Way. You can, in your handout, actually in the C5, you can see the specific address. The reason that's a big deal is because today uh, we're also having a rally there, and uh, it's kind of an open house rally. We're going to be having a barbecue for everybody to, to share in who can get there. It's at 1.30, so you know, after service, I'm, I'm jumping over there. They're going to have, have food there, and then we just have a brief time, sort of let everybody kind of get a feel for what we're doing, sing a few songs, and then we're going to be having a little bit of an open house. And so if you're able to make it, 1.30, it's happening. It's not going to be super long, but you're welcome to jump in and have some lunch there and uh, kind of celebrate the beginning of a victory together that we really believe that God is uh, doing something special and that it's gonna result in a lot more people being able to get a chance to share in whatever you know, gift God has allowed us to be as a people and the way in which we get to be part of sharing Jesus in this city. Um, it's something that we've been looking forward to and praying for for a long time and to see it happening, really exciting. And so um, anyway, if you do go, remember to wear your t-shirt if you can, all right? But I wanna go ahead and pray because um, I have something I wanna share. And, I, I feel like God can speak to some of us in some specific ways. So we'll pray. Let's ask you, Lord, to just come. Even now, Lord, this uh, beautiful day. Now the sun has been out, and uh, we welcome you, the living sun, to come in. And we pray that you would speak to us. You know, as we look backwards, as we look back to what you did generations ago, back into the Older Testament, 450 years even before your coming, Lord, we're looking back at something, but there's so much for us to learn for today. And uh, I pray that your words would be more than just historical words, but as, as valuable as that may be, that they would be words that apply to us directly in the everydayness of our life. Because when you came, you came right there. You came into the everydayness of life. And I know that you care about how we're living, how we're loving, how we're growing, how we're building, and how we're getting things moved out that that are precluding us from being able to move forward. And so I just want to ask you to just be present, Lord, in this time. Open up our hearts, let us drop our guards, listen for your voice, in Jesus' name, amen, Lord. Hey, I want to talk about the, the title for a moment. You'll notice, this is our ongoing series on Nehemiah, but this particular title, Critical Considerations, there's a kind of a word play there, and um, critical is one of those words that has a couple of different meanings, doesn't it? In, the, in one sense, we say something's critical, it has a positive side to it. We say, oh, it's absolutely important, it's essential. It was a critical piece, a critical part of the project, a critical thing that was shared. You know, did you miss that? Because strategically, it was critical. It's the idea that it has a great importance. So in one sense, the word critical considerations, these are the important things for us to consider. On the other hand, critical is a word that we've also come to connect, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not sure that you know, most of us don't even think of this as the primary way in which it's used as something negative that when someone is critical of something, or we feel like that they were being critical of us, uh, you know, that it has a kind of a negative, judgmental feel to it. Even when people, you know, I think a lot of times, the people mean quite, quite well with the criticism, and, and that often flies under the flag of, you know, um, 
the kind of criticism that we call constructive criticism. I know we all love constructive criticism, right? And um, oftentimes, that's, a, that's a, an, an excuse sometimes. But it's also sometimes when people are trying to give us input on something. And you know, I don't know. If you're like me, you've probably found that even constructive criticism can make us defensive and can sometimes be hard to hear. But when criticism is just straight out designed to hurt us and it's just overtly destructive, well, that's a whole different ballgame. And that, that how we respond to negativity like that is a big deal. Are we going to escalate? Are we going to harbor that hurt? Uh, is that going to play into, into ways in which we've reacted in our past? Is that going to help things? How should we respond? This is the critical consideration of today's lesson and study and, and the scripture that we're looking at. Because we're focusing on Nehemiah's account, but in reality... It has so much to say about so much of what happens at an interpersonal level that it just speaks profoundly to us. So let's look at these six verses. That's all we're going to look at from chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says that Nehemiah's writing, he says, But so it happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. Now, I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment. Again, remember, Nehemiah has come from Persia. He's been allowed to go back to Jerusalem. He's been given permission by the the king of Persia, and amazingly supplied to help rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem, walls that had been uh, never rebuilt, even though the city had been re-inhabited, re the walls and the, that had been torn down had never been rebuilt. It was just rubble that filled the streets and, and surrounded the city. The gates that allowed for access and for people to come and go, the roads were just you know, clogged up and unpassable, and they had been burned. And so it's a picture of a city that, although it's been in, inhabited, uh, you know, repopulated is nonetheless a shadow of what it was. And it just, there, people have become accustomed generationally with living in the brokenness of their situation. Nehemiah had a passion put in his heart by the king of kings to respond to his people and to help them rebuild those walls. Again, because in ancient cities, walls were absolutely essential. You, you could not live in safety you could not accumulate resource without the fear of being raided and plundered without walls and gates. We, we, again, we cannot appreciate what that meant to an ancient city, especially if it was once a great city. So the people who lived there lived in a, in a cons consistent place of kind of low-grade hopelessness. Okay? Then we're introduced to this character named Sambalat. When he hears about Nehemiah, this official from Persia who's coming to help rebuild the walls, when that word gets back to him, Sambalat, we're told, was a, a governor of Samaria, which is a region right above Judea, where, the, where Jerusalem was. And we know that he was himself a, 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 evidently a practicing Jew, that uh, his, his, I think it was his daughter, his daughter had married the grandson of the high priest. So we know that it's not like he was disconnected from the religious life of Israel, but what he was, or what he was, was fiercely opposed to any change in terms of the restoration of the city because right now he, he ran things. And Sambalat was pretty much in charge. It, 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 what we're about to look at is not really a racial issue. Uh, it was more of a political power issue. And Sambalat doesn't want the situation to change. He knows that if Jerusalem is rebuilt and those walls are reestablished and those entry points are are allowed to you know, be restored, then 
the trade that's going to be going into Jerusalem is going to overwhelm what he's got set up. And so he had already had intermarriage, you know, going on. He had, he had politically set things up to where everything was under control. The people were okay. He was in charge. Um, they were not really being oppressed, oppressed. They were just kind of living in this situation, uh, not realizing in some ways how, how much they were being taken advantage of. Nehemiah comes. Maybe they did, but they, not enough for them to respond to it, to react to it. Nehemiah comes and says, this is no good. This situation's got to change. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't want this. And, and of course, when Sambalat hears this, he, he hears that Nehemiah has started a building project that's going to change the entire equation. Well, he goes ballistic. He, he, the first, and what he does is he starts to seek to undermine their morale. And he, if you can see in verses 2, it says that he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these, these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? And will they offer their sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Um, he says, and then, and, and then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, his assistant, said, yeah, whatever they build, it'll, it must have been really funny in their day. Even a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their, their stone wall. Ha ah, ha, they're all laughing. Basically saying that they, they'll never do this. What a joke. They're a joke of the people. They're a joke trying to do this project. It'll never work. Speaking defeat into, into that situation. You got to remember, the people had, how would you say this? They had never tasted victory. Not really. They had never known anything other than their condition. And they had grown up. That means generation after generation had grown up accepting the fact that this is the way things are. We kind of live with the rubble. You see what I'm saying? And it'd be, it's not unlike, and, and some of them probably said, well, this is the way it will always be. You know, they had been beaten down so much that they had sort of just become passive about what we would call in our vernacular the dysfunctional situation had become something that had become acceptable. And a passive hopelessness had settled in to them as a people. And, and it'd be no different than if some of us perhaps may, even though we may have had a, a, a genuine touch of the Lord in our lives, we nonetheless, it's very possible that some of us may feel that there are certain areas of our lives that have been so damaged, so depleted for so long, that the idea that that situation could ever really be changed, that I could ever really experience genuine breakthrough in this area, that there's almost become a, an accustomization to this particular issue or area of our life where we just kind of given up hope, that it would be like that. It may be like that for some of us that we just feel so defeated, so beaten down, in a way, almost oppressed. Yeah, we function. Yes, we understand our identity. Yes, we live where we, you know what I'm saying? But there's that feeling of it'll never really change, and I'll never really, and Nehemiah comes into that place and says, listen to me. God wants to change this. Let me tell you what he wants us to do. And it's like he comes in, and he, he brings hope with him, and then he says, and more than that, if we will implement this plan, God will produce a breakthrough in this situation. I just need you to sign on and get on board with this, and let's watch what God can do, because this can change. And when, and when Nehemiah says it, they rise up. They rise up. Now, the criticism that was coming, right, it, it, it's, a, it's a real criticism. 
because they were trying to, what they were trying to do was play into the, into the script, right? You're no good. You can't do it. You'll be defeated again. Even if you try to do it, it'll be worthless. I mean, it's just playing in the script. Nehemiah is seething. He's so mad. It'd be no different than if you and I were working with someone who we're trying to help, and we're, we've been encouraging them, and we've been acknowledging that they've been making some good steps. Maybe they're a sponsor, maybe a friend, maybe uh, uh, we've mentored somebody, maybe we're in a group with someone, maybe we're trying to help someone move along. They've come through something traumatic or they're really trying to make a change in their life and God's beginning to do something beautiful, but it's fragile, it's very fragile. And, and we all know that they're just a step away from falling back into stuff. But that need for strengthening, you can do this, God's with you, you can do this, we can do this, watch what happens, build on this. And then to have people come around that and then just kind of, both undermine it, uh, come around it, and try to demean the, the good intention, uh, tell them that it'll never work, you're no good, you're never gonna, it's never going to happen for you. To hear that, it would be, you understand, if you're, if you're that person, if you're the people of Jerusalem, those words are pretty powerful because they're basically telling you what you've always thought about yourself. And Nehemiah is upset, he's hot, he's angry. He is saying, I see what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. But instead of reacting, he turns his heart to God. Look at what happens in verse, in verse 4. He says this, hear, O God, because we are despised. So he just pours his heart out to God. And I want us to see, this prayer is a very real prayer. It is raw. It's, he's got anger in this prayer. He's hurt. He feels that they've been mocked and scorned. And uh, he's, it's, it's, again, it's almost as if someone is trying to tear down the very thing that he believes God's trying to build into them and just rip their, their, their confidence right out when it's so fragile. And he says, oh God, we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. He, he says, basically Nehemiah says, God, you need to step up for us and you need to take care of these guys. You need to stop them in their tracks, Lord. It's a very interesting prayer. It's, it's not, you know, Jesus modeled Bless your enemies, right? Pray for your enemies. But I need to also point out that Jesus did more than that too because there were times where he was legitimately angry with things. It was not always just Jesus meek and mild. He does show us the highest way, no question about it. But at the same time, there were times where Jesus confronted things very directly. For example, when he went in the temple, he said he saw what they were doing. People were getting robbed, cheated. It was just bad. It was bad. And he walks in there, and he does something that none of them expected, right? He chases them out physically. Jesus got physical. And he overturned the tables, and he got a whip, and he started saying, get out of my father's house. And he said, you've made this house, which is a house where people meet God, into a place where it's a den of thieves. And it was powerful. It was intense. And it was, I'm telling you, Jesus had that side. Jesus had these moments where the Pharisees, who he thought, saw them as oppressive in so many ways. And how when they would come at him, and there were times where Jesus would not just say, oh, I bless you. He would say, you know what you are? You brood, you brood of vipers. You, you are open sepulchers. Death is in you. Inside of you is like a... a uh, uh, bones of death, and people who follow you follow you into a pit. Those are intense words. Paul, on certain occasions, prayed for God to stop the mouth of the gainsayer. Psalms are filled with prayers. My point is, <laughs> is this, is that there are times where when someone else is at, at, in jeopardy, 
that it, it may be that we have to pray that God will stop that from happening, stop that from happening, because a bunch of people are going to be really damaged by this. And we need to pray into that. Nehemiah is intensely putting his case before the Lord. And then look what it says in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now, he says, so we just kept working. Now, let me, let me take the, t- in the time that we have left. Let's talk, let's talk about how Nehemiah handles this criticism and then make some applications for us. Let's, let's follow some critical considerations around what we do with criticism. And let us, let us suggest that when we come into these places where we're tempted to be reactive, let us remember the value of self-control. So let's just put this on the board, how important it is to exercise self-restraint, particularly in the area of our words. Not exclusively, but particularly. One of the real, I think, one of the key verses that speak to this, it's an important verse in Proverbs 16. I've always appreciated it and thought it was helpful um, when it comes to to controlling our anger and exercising self-restraint. It says this in Proverbs 16, 32. It says that he who is slow to anger is better uh, than he, you know, is better than the mighty, and the person that rules their spirit is greater than the one who can take a city. The person who, who is slow to anger is better than the mighty or the powerful. That the greatest, the greatest expression of power is not necessarily in the one who can take a city as a commander of an army, but it's actually the one who can rule their own spirit. When we are angry, when we are offended, when we want to retaliate, this ability to engage in self-rule, very powerful, powerful principle. It's something that it, Nehemiah models for us. And the Bible and the Proverbs in particular talk about the danger that comes when we're, when we're quick-tempered, uh, the, when, we, when we let anger get the best of us. Because again, Nehemiah is angry, right? But he, he has to contain himself and not just explode with his anger. He, it, and it's a reminder that the Bible says that we are to be angry, listen, but do not sin, the Bible says. Be angry and sin not. There are times where it is legitimate to be angry with something. When, and in fact, it is a sign of, and there are some situations where it is actually a sign of dishealth to not be angry. That there are some things that maybe they're going on that the sign of, of something being very wrong is that everybody's okay with what is clearly wrong. And no one's willing to talk about it or address it. We just kind of live with it and never really get past it by first starting to acknowledge it. In other words, there, is such, there are things that we need to say, this is no good, this is wrong, and it's not good, and it's not something that we should be accepting. We need to address this. We cannot pretend it's not a problem when it is. There are times where anger is legitimate, but there are times where in the context of that anger, we can go past what is a proper response, and we can begin to react. And a lot of times, in our hurt, uh, a lot of times we lash out, we become defensive. It's in those places when we say things that um, are very damaging and uh, can ultimately hurt people very, very deeply. Some of us have been on the back end of those words, and we still walk through those words, sometimes for years over years. Words are powerful. Words can hit us. And that's why, you know, now it may not just be words that we speak. It may be words that we send off, right? It might be something we said, or now, you know, now we're talking into it, and it'll send it out for us, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
And the whole idea is that we gotta be really careful when we get angry because when we say something and once we send it off, we can't get it back. It's like, oh, uh-oh, it's gone, right? It's out, it's there. Same thing when we react to something, when we react to something and we say it, you know, we get hurt, someone says something to us and then we just feel like, you know, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. And it was so, it was amazing because I was on Saturday, okay? The first service is Saturday night. I've been thinking about this message all week long and just, you know, in and out of it, thinking about it, you know, Lord, you know, I want to talk about criticism. And, and Saturday night, you know, we start get, I started getting ready in the afternoon, but it, it was interesting. I had a conversation with a close friend. And I was in this conversation with this person, and we were sharing together, and it was fine. We have known each other for a number of years. And, and yet something was said. And I, I, I didn't appreciate what was said, you know? I was like, you know, now... You would think I'm going to be preaching my message on, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, no big deal. I, I got I got offended by it, right? So here I am. I'm, I'm here with this. What do you? What do you tell? I don't. I don't. And then I'm walking away, and it was like as I'm walking away, it kind of like settled into me, and I said, well, you know what? <laughs> right? And I gave hit it right, right? And you know how you have these moments where you get to decide: Am I going to return it with equal? or am I gonna go a little beyond what was given to me? So I decided, you know, here's, how about this one, right? <laughs> so I retaliated, because I, some, something in me was bothered and hurt defensively, and so instead of, instead of taking that and doing what I should have done, I come in and I, I'm, I'm, I was like, well, okay, you know what, there you go. And so I'm walking away. And I'm walking down the stairs, and I'm starting thinking, you know, what, what is wrong with you? you know, what is wrong? What, where does that come from? You know, part, you know, I mean, your wife does not deserve to be talked to like that. <laughs> and so we had, you know, Fortunately, we've known each other for so long <laughs> that, you know, it, it, in fact, in here, I don't even know if it registered. I was particularly sensitive to what came out of me that moment because we, we just went on with the rest of the day. It wasn't a big deal. But for me, it was because it was like, you know what? You were so quick to drop right into that. What, what is that? What kind of brokenness? What, kind of, what is that? That is, not, that is not strength. Anyone can do that. So you're hurt. So that gives you justification to say something hurtful. This is not, this is not the way of the Lord, is my point. Yeah, I, look, I was thinking about this. Even when we're talking about just the, the whole idea of being around, uh, I was just thinking about the idea of how sometimes we get in these, these exchanges, and then what's left by the time we're done is just this wake of damage. See, in this case, nothing happened, really. It just kind of went there, and that was that. But a lot of times things escalate, and we say things, and we hurt one another, and we get hurt. We hurt, and we are hurt, and then we hurt. And you know the old saying, hurt people hurt people. And that somehow we, we, when we a lot of times, by the time an emotional storm is done, it's, it's, it's divided people, it's hurt people. I'm just saying, the Lord has a higher way for us. Um, the Bible even reminds us about the danger of being around people who, who have hot tempers, and get, and, and get into consistent conflict. 
in fact, I was reading, I was reading in Proverbs, and it said this in Proverbs, so what is it, uh, 19.19, it says that hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. In other words, once we start pretending there's not a problem when there is one, it's just going to keep coming back. It's got to be dealt with. If it's just like, oh, no big deal, but it'll happen again. That's what the Bible's saying. Very interesting. Again, one of the many impressive aspects of Nehemiah's personality is his self-control. And it's clear that he was steaming mad, but he refused to react or be drawn into a fight knowing that he was that mad. And I was thinking about arguments because a lot of times when we argue with people, you know, it's been said that um, you know, it takes two to argue. And it does. You know, one person can't really argue it, one person is having a conniption. One person is, it, but it takes two to argue. I put this in your handout. It says this. Chuck Swindoll wrote this. Great teacher. Uh, amazing guy. He said, arguments are never a one-way street. They run into, sometimes they run in packs. If you want to stop an argument, he says, close your mouth. <laughs> the other person will usually just run down. If you want to keep an argument going, oh, simple. Just answer the criticism or the complaint in a harsh way. And you know what that reminds us of? The Bible says this in Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer, what does it do? It turns away wrath, but a harsh word, what does it do? Stirs up anger. Soft word turns away wrath, harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.28, just write down that same chapter, says this, the heart of of the righteous studies, studies how to answer, right? But the mouth of the evil, just mouth of the wicked, just pours forth evil. Let me tell you something. God cares about what we say. And the words we speak matter to him. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We are reminded in the scriptures that the same mouth, I think it's James, that brings forth praise to God, ought not then in turn to feel okay about cursing men made in the very image of God. That that, That one of the things that we notice that starts to happen in the life of people when, they, when we really get touched by the Lord's grace, we notice that what we start to get challenged around is the way we talked and the way we say things, and we have to become responsible for our anger. God wants to teach us how to be a people, listen, of benediction, of good words. One of the real things that starts to change is the way we speak. What used to be a fallback habit of just cursing, all of a sudden... That's no longer acceptable on the lips that want to honor God. All of a sudden, the way I speak about people, I'm accountable for it. Yeah, you're accountable for it. No free pass on that one, buddy. That was me. No, no, no. That's how it works. I'm calling you to grow. I'm calling you to get past these things. Don't use the past scripting and the habits that are below what God has for us as an excuse to keep from moving forward in the places he's calling us to grow into. Well, that's just how it is. That's how my family was. That's how I've always been. We've got we to challenge that in the name of the Lord. He wants to build a new thing. The rubble's got to go. He's got a wall to build. What does Nehemiah do? He doesn't just stop there, though, does he? What else does he do? Instead of reacting, he does something so basic. What does he do? It says that he takes his case, number two, he takes his case to the Lord. That's a huge thing when we're angry. Someone's offended us. Someone's criticized us. You know what? Nehemiah's going, I want to talk to God. And, and, and again, we, we talked about this. Oh, by the way, his prayer wasn't just a anger management technique. It wasn't like, you know, 
deep breath time, right? It wasn't, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to count to 10. One, two, three, right? It was, no, his prayer, those are all techniques. Some people can use prayer as a technique. That's not what he was doing. It did that, but that wasn't his point. His prayer wasn't a technique so that he wouldn't get angry. His prayer was a real belief that God could come into his situation and actively engage it. It was a true trusting of the Lord with his situation. And it wasn't a technique to manage his anger. It was a statement about, Lord, I am trusting you to show up in this situation. I'm asking you to come. It's not just I'm doing a religious thing on the side to manage my anger that could be substituted for anything else, like another you know, technique. It was about praying because he believed that God would respond. It's about the power of an active engagement with the Lord, a conviction that God can do something here. So it's not a passive technique. It was a real earnest taking of his heart to God as a means of doing something about the situation. God, I know you can do this. I know you can help us. I bring my cause to you. Thirdly, what does he do then? He comes behind that and he says, you know what? We just got back to work. And it's a reminder then that you and I, in these critical places, when we're tempted to get bogged down in negativity, what they're saying, what they're questioning, and all that, whatever other stuff that's going on, maybe our own scripts telling us how we'll never succeed or other, look, keep building, keep working. Number three, keep building, keep working. Stay with it, keep the focus where it needs to be. A lot of times we're tempted to get caught off into detours. That was what needed. It's like Sambalat saying all this stuff. You're going to go deal with it. You know what? No. I'm going to stay with this. I'm going to stay where I'm supposed to be. You know what we're going to do? I'm going to bring my case to God. I'm going to take, I'm going to take charge of my own reactions. And I'll make sure that I'm responding. I'm, going to, I'm so mad. I am so mad. And he's just venting his heart before the Lord. Lord, show up for us. Take care of them. Stop them in their tracks. They're hurting your people. But you know what then? I'm going to, then he says, let's get back to work. Let's get back to work. Let's stay focused on the thing that got us already to where we are right now that's causing them so much concern. And then he takes it one step further, and he goes on to say that the people then had a mind to work, and the wall was getting built. And in fact, in verse 6, he says that we actually built the wall completely around the city, halfway to its height. In fact, I'll just put this up from the, from the New Living Translation. It says this, at last the wall was completed to half of its height. Look at this. And it says in the, around the entire city. And then the phrase that is used here, because the people had worked with what? Enthusiasm. That's the last, the last one of the four. Not just working, but work with enthusiasm, stay positive, stay encouraged, stay focused. Some of us are going, wow, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. Because one of the things I've become aware of is that God wants to teach us that it's more than sometimes just praying and it's more than even just time just working. It's how the attitude that we have when we're doing it. Are we going to choose to be a people who live, you know, focused on things that play into a defeatist mentality? Or are we going to start to ask God to help us to give us an optimistic spirit that we can have breakthrough, that growth is possible? Look, some of us, listen, halfway is not all the way, but it's big progress. And a lot of us, we're progressing. It may be through fits and stages, but God is shaping things. God is building things. Some of that rubble is being taken out. The wall is being built. It's not all the way where it's going to be, where it's supposed to be, where it will be. But you know what? We're seeing progress. 
We need to stay in a good place, stay positive, stay optimistic, stay faith-filled, surround ourselves with people who also want to cultivate growth in our lives, be serious with God, get in, find a place on the wall. It's one of the reasons why I'm feeling so excited about what's happening in our midst as a people, because we're allowing, a lot of people are joining together and activating their faith. There's like, they built the wall together. The wall gets built. And all of us have a place on that wall. That's part of where our growth comes from. That's part of where life comes from. Okay, you know what I'm saying? God wants us to take a hold of something and keep a good heart, a good attitude. The people out of mind to work. I love that. May God give us a heart to contend. Not to just accept things the way they were, because it's the way it'll always be. I'll always be defeated here. I'll never have breakthrough. No, no, no. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. He is in our lives. He is alive, and he is capable of doing amazing things. And we're going to watch it happen even before our own eyes. Let's pray. Lord, you know, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to talk about your words and how meaningful they are for us, Lord. And I just pray that your, your spirit would continue to work in our lives and to challenge us, Lord, to be better than what we are and to grow and to build and to be enthused, Lord, and to keep our focus in the right places and not to allow negativity, even when it comes from, from people or if it comes from just our own sense of being defeated and, and, and our own past scripting, Lord, whatever it is, the, 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 the lies that are sent our way um, that are designed to keep us from moving forward with you. I just pray that we would have an openness of heart that would allow you to always have access into us, God that you can begin to, to build things in us that will not only be a testimony of your grace that we will know about, but it will end up being a blessing for other people, the people that you will bring through our lives, some of whom we meet and we, we have uh, small exchanges with, others who we affect for generations as either friends or family members. You know these things, Lord. You know what it is you're trying to do. I pray that you'd keep building. Keep building in us. Remove the rubble, build the good walls, and keep building in our church, Lord. Let there be a flow of life and enthusiasm and joy as we seek to do your will together. We ask for your blessing. We're so grateful, thankful. We love you, Lord. Bless this uh, closing time. Bless the afternoon. Bless our time of giving as we honor you together in this closing song, which is such a reminder of a life surrendered to you. We'll finish well with it, Lord. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.